ATI is one of the leaders in clinical research within the physical therapy profession. All 900 plus ATI clinics placed in the 100th percentile in CMS's merit-based incentive program for the second consecutive year. Go to ATIPT.com if you want to join their team and jumpstart your new career. That's ATIPT.com. So hip pathologies are one thing that we really need to look at when studying for your NPTE exam. And hip pathologies are interesting and sometimes difficult for a couple of different reasons. One is we have to determine whether or not there's a trauma involved or if this is a non-traumatic pathology. The other thing that we have to consider is where are the symptoms happening? Or more importantly, what is exacerbating the symptoms? The third thing, and this is a little unique to the hip, is that we're going to see some very age-related correlation with a lot of these injuries, right? So we think about things like osteoarthritis versus something like leg calves PERS disease. Both are going to have a common symptom of hip pain. However, one is going to happen in our older population most typically, while the other being leg calves PERS disease is going to happen in our younger population. So in looking at hip fractures, what we really first need to look at is what's an intracapsular fracture and what's an extracapsular fracture. Now think way back to anatomy, right? So an intracapsular fracture is really important and that's going to create a really dangerous situation that we as physical therapists need to watch out for. And I will tell you personally, I have uncovered some of these in my clinical practice as well. An intracapsular fracture is a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is because that fracture a lot of times can tear the circumflex femoral arteries. It can cause all sorts of post-op complications. So let's say that person went in, had the fracture, got a pin or a screw put in, and then they had complications afterwards. Things like avascular necrosis can happen or a non-union fracture can happen. Typically, the treatment for this is going to be three screws placed into the femur. Sometimes for our older folks where maybe the bone integrity isn't best, we're going to see just a total hip replacement done. An extra capsular fracture is going to be outside the capsule. What we're going to see here is more than likely an intertrochanteric fracture because those are about 50% of all extracapsular fractures or proximal femur fractures. And typically that's going to be taken care of with a plate and a screw, aka an ORIF, open reduction internal fixation. Now, when it comes to fractures, 90% of the fractures are of the femoral neck. So we really, really need to watch out for those. Most likely, the underlying cause or the precipitating factor is going to be osteoporosis, but we can see stress fractures happen that then progress into a femoral neck fracture. Typically, fractures of the intertrochanteric region are typically going to be due to a trauma. 
right? So most common trauma, especially in our population 65 and over, is going to be a fall. And typically what this is going to present as in the clinic, that leg is going to look a little shorter and it's going to be in a little bit of internal rotation. Now, it should also be noted, and this is kind of a side point, that non-displaced hip fractures, we really need to get an MRI, right? So those displaced hip fractures, a lot of times we can see with an X-ray, but if it's a non-displaced hip fracture, we really should be advocating for our patient to get an MRI because oftentimes the X-ray is not going to give a real clear picture and things can get missed. So when it comes to non-traumatic hip joint imaging, we really need to kind of follow, and you probably remember this from your imaging courses, those ABCs, right? So I need to look at my alignment. How does my joint space look? How does my bone look? How does the soft tissue look around the bone? We really need to look at the shape of the femoral head and really the presence of osteophytes or arthritis. And those are all very, very common in x-rays. So when it comes to hip osteoarthritis, it should be noted, number one, the most common cause of chronic hip pain is going to be osteoarthritis. The patient is typically going to present with pain and loss of mobility and a progressive loss of mobility. The first range of motion that will be lost typically is going to be internal rotation. The big symptom that's going to differentiate osteoarthritis from a lot of our other pathologies is my patient's going to have a lot of pain first thing in the morning, but once they're up and moving around for about 60 minutes, that hip starts feeling a lot better. When your patient tells you that, you really should think about osteoarthritis being one of the top differentials or the top diagnosis that you're thinking of. Now, it also should be noted that patients over 40, 9 out of 10, 10 of them have at least a little bit of degenerative joint disease just based on wear and tear and moving around life. On a radiograph, typically what we're going to see with osteoarthritis is we're going to see asymmetrical joint space narrowing, not symmetrical. Typically, we'll see some sclerosis around the subchondral bone. We'll see some osteophytes. We might see a cyst or a pseudocyst. And then typically, we're going to see migration of the femoral head. So that femoral head's not going to be where it's supposed to be. And if you think about it, just based on biomechanics, and compressive forces, and just body weight uh, bearing of the human body, we're typically going to see that femoral head migrate superiorly. Now, when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis, very different situation happening here. Right, so osteoarthritis is going to be a lot of wear and tear on one particular part of the body. Remember that rheumatoid arthritis is a systemic pathology. So a lot of times what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of things that are systemic 
and therefore very symmetric. So we might see some osteoporosis. We might see symmetric and concentric joint space narrowing. We might see synovial cysts, articular erosions. We'll see some effusion around the joint. The common symptom we will see is that femoral head migration, right? So in osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, that femoral head will migrate superiorly or in the axial direction. However, what we see with rheumatoid arthritis that we do not see with osteoarthritis, remember osteoarthritis, once that person's up and moving around for about the first 60 minutes of the day, that pain gets a lot better. That situation will not happen with rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis typically is going to be there, and it's going to be there all day long. Now, with femoral neck stress fractures, typically what we're going to see is we're going to see a big history of overuse. And a lot of times what we see is we see stress fractures happening in the femoral neck when there is a very sudden increase in activity. So, for example, an individual enters high school, starts lifting weights, starts playing you know, pretty robust sport. They may suffer a femoral neck fracture because there's a sudden increase in their activity. The big differentiation here, the big symptom we need to look at, if that person gets relief when they're non-weight bearing, we really need to think about maybe a stress fracture happening. They'll have local pain, they'll have tenderness, they'll have swelling. We really need to get that person in for a bone scan. And an MRI is gonna be, I won't say as good as a bone scan, but MRI is 100% sensitive, 100% specific. My big point here is don't rely on a radiograph for a femoral neck stress fracture. And reason being is because a lot of times those pathologies will not show up on a radiograph. We really need to get the bone scan, really need to get the MRI done. Now I mentioned avascular necrosis a little earlier in the session. Avascular necrosis is typically going to happen when an external vessel gets compressed. Right, so through a trauma, through infection, sometimes through steroid use, or there's a thickening of the vessel wall, right? So we see this sometimes with radiation or radiotherapy done. Sometimes lupus or giant cell arteritis can happen. And a lot of times it can be through a thromboembolytic process, things like diabetes. The big point here is that avascular necrosis says what it is, and it is what it says. My bone is not getting the blood that it needs, and it actually starts dying. And this is a situation that we as physical therapists really need to watch out for, because a lot of times what we will see is we'll see a very quick but progressive deterioration of symptoms and we need to screen for things like this because this is a situation where that person needs pretty immediate attention. Typically, and this is why sometimes 
we as physical therapists will end up catching this or screening for it is a lot of times the radiographs will appeal perfectly normal for several weeks. But then the patient's symptoms start getting worse. They start having more pain with weight bearing, more pain with things like a straight leg raise. And then after the therapist screens for it and says, hey, you know, maybe we need to get an image done, then later on, avascular necrosis is detected. Really and truly, this person needs to have an MRI. Typically, this is not going to show up very well on an x-ray or radiograph. MRI is going to have the earliest sensitivity and specificity. On a radiograph, though, you will see some changes, such as a flattening of the femoral head. Sometimes you actually see a partial collapse of the femoral head. And you'll see what's called a crescent sign, where it actually looks like a little crescent moon in the femoral head, generally denoting an area where there's less bone mass. Now, with leg calf pers disease, the big determining factor with this is going to be the age and the biological sex of the patient. Typically, what we see is predominantly males get this disease, and they average around six years old. Right? These are very young children. What it is, what leg calves per disease actually is, is an osteonecrosis of the capital femoral epiphysis. Typically, we're going to see effusion. We're going to see a widened joint space. This is one of those pathologies that if that patient goes for an image, it's pretty obvious and pretty apparent what's going on. We will also see increased density of the femoral head, but we'll also see some radiolucency around the epiphysis. We really need to watch out for these things because, again, this is going to be another problem where we have a young child, they're having some hip pain. Nobody's really sure what it is. The person gets a PT referral. And we need to understand that this person probably needs a radiograph to at least screen for something like LCP or leg caps pers disease. Now, with femoral acetabular impingement syndrome, these are actually quite common. And one big thing to note here, for a long time, we really thought that this was an athletic injury and it's really not you know there's a large systematic review done and only 33 percent of the folks that had fai in the study were actually athletes understand that a lot of times with femoral acetabular impingement syndrome we are going to have an overgrowth either of the acetabulum or the femoral head a lot of times those can cause labral tears. So understand that with femoral acetabular impingement syndrome, we may have just FAI, but if it progresses enough, that femoral head is going to start digging into, for lack of a better term, the labrum around the hip. And then obviously you're going to move on to your 
labral pathologies and your differential diagnosis through that.